0: I'm Anthony Walsh and this is the Romance Cycling Podcast, the show where we empower you with the tools to optimize your health, your happiness, and your longevity. Joining us is none other than Irish history-making cyclist Megan Armitage. Megan recently made waves in the cycling world as the first female Irish rider to win a UCI-ranked stage race, claiming the general classification in the Vuelta Extremaduras Feminas. But Megan's journey goes beyond her remarkable achievements on the road. Today, we delve into her plans for the remainder of 2023, her experience riding the classics, and the valuable advice she has for young riders entering the world of road racing. Throughout this episode, we'll explore Megan's background, her transition into professional cycling, and the challenges she's faced along the way. We'll also gain an insight into her training routine and how she stays motivated during those tough times and the importance she places on a strong support system. Here's a little taste of what awaits you on today's episode.
1: Well, I think it is quite important to kind of reflect back on like, oh, gee, I started off riding a bike and flipping shinro and like and out in the sleep blooms, like I, and I never expected to be here. If you told me this like a few years ago, I wouldn't have been like, not i off, like not a chance. So, yeah, it is important to do that. And it's something that I kind of need to be conscious of That's why I love going home. Like, I'm at, like, when I'm at home, my dad's like, I'm like, oh, I have to go and do four hours of training. And he's just like, well, there's cows to be brought in from the field. So you're doing that before you go. <laughs> Like when I'm in a phase of like building up to a certain event and there's always just that period where like you're not feeling good on the bike and you're not able to hit the numbers and training's going like crap and you're like, oh, I need to just, I want to hang up the bike, can't do anything. And I've been in that situation before where I felt that, but then you kind of just need to like take a step back and cop onto yourself and just be like, not like you're in a really lucky situation to be able to do this.
0: Megan, welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on.
0: (laughs) Megan, you've come a long way from rural Ireland. You're sitting over in the south of France, sun blazing in the window.
1: Yeah, it's pretty nice here today. It's 21, so yeah, not complaining.
0: I have a a mutual friend we're just chatting about off air, Aaron Kearney. He came down to stay with me for the weekend. We are planning to do four hours this morning and then we woke up and it was pouring rain we just ended up going to the coffee shop and not riding at all uh,
1: I went to the coffee shop but yeah we were sitting outside so <laughs> it's not the same
0: how are you recovering from the classics
1: yeah pretty good like yesterday was my first year to on the edge and yeah it was by far like the most amazing race I've ever done I absolutely loved it Um, like didn't get the result I was hoping for but it was amazing I loved it <laughs>
0: what's the expectations? like you're you're so new into like as you say that's your first liege baston liege like what's the expectation into that beyond finishing are you hoping to get in the mix or are you just happy to soak up the
1: atmosphere for me at the moment like i think i have the legs to be in the mix but i don't have the cop on to be in the mix like i'm just burning too many matches at the wrong point and um, so yeah yesterday like i was feeling really good and then was able to kind of um, be in the front group when people were kind of getting tailed off the back and then I was just an idiot like I was just way too far back on the Laradute and then kind of like had to do a massive big surge to make it up to the front group um, and then that's when they kind of put the hammer down and I just like <laughs> exploded in the last like couple of hundred meters. It's such an unforgiving (laughs) time.
0: I think as well, looking at it on TV, obviously we don't get the full uh, female race. You only get like an extended highlights package on GCN, but it looks even more important to have position in the female peloton than the male peloton. It splits into, you know, seven, eight, nine groups of points and you're like, what the hell is going on? It's like a grenade has gone off.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like yesterday I was just trying to kind of sit on the wheels of other good riders and... and that was kind of what I was trying to do. And my teammates really helped me with that as well. And um, But then when I kind of came to that point, I was just, I was by myself. I, I didn't have any teammates at that point. Um, and I just made kind of some rookie mistakes, but good mistakes to, to make. And I learned a lot from them and then just try not to do them again, even though I'm sure I probably will do them again.
0: Like, are you, does it feel a little bit surreal? Like, are you having to pinch yourself? Is there any imposter syndrome where you're going, oh my God, I'm in Liege and I have legs to follow some of the best girls in the world. What's going on?
1: There's not too much like pinch myself because I think I'm always just, I never really reflect back. I'm always just kind of like looking, okay, what's like the next thing that I need to do? Where do I need to improve? Like, how can I keep progressing? But yeah, and then like, I haven't, I didn't grow up in like a cycling family like for me, like, I don't know a lot of the history of the races other than what I've kind of learned in the last two years. But yesterday was definitely special. And yeah, I just, I I loved it. Like, it was such a cool race.
0: There's something about that, though. It's like the nature of the cyclists. They're always planning for, like, the next session, the next objective, the next season. And I wonder, I know for me, like, at the time, you never think your best performance is your best performance. You never yeah. think your best ever result is your best ever result. You always think oh, no, there'll be a better result next week. there be a better result next season. There'll be a better... And in retrospect, looking back on my cycle, and, you know, I've never got to race races like Liege, Baston, Liege, but I wish I had stood still a little bit more and taken stock and being like, whoa, like, this is really cool where I'm at right now.
1: Yeah, like, definitely, yeah.
0: Do you find yourself with that constant, you know, focus into the future? Or are you able to be present?
1: Like, uh- I'm kind of like I'm trying to be a little bit more present like even after the race like kind of just reflecting back on how it went instead of just constantly just trying to and also actually take positives out of the race because I'm always just looking back at races like even if it's a race that I get a good result in I'm always just kind of picking holes and saying oh Jesus like I need to get better at that I need to get better at that Um, and I'm always just kind of trying to look forward but I think it is quite important to kind of reflect back on like Oh, gee, I started off riding a bike and flipping Shinro and like and out in the sleep blooms. Like I, and I never expected to be here. If you told me this like a few years ago, I would have been like, no, thick off, like not a chance. So yeah, it is important to do that. And it's something that I kind of need to be conscious of, I guess.
0: How's it happened so fast? You know, it's that age old question of nature versus nurture. Was there one which you think was more responsible than the other?
1: Oh, uh, I think I just have that real, like, I don't know, I, I did it my undergrad degree i did law and french law and ucd and i like i actually hated the degree so much i like the first day i went in i was like not not for me but i was just like i bent over backwards trying to get all these points in the leave insert and like my dad would have killed me if i dropped out of college i was like right i'll just stick out like no one really likes it in here like there's like four people in the whole year that are like real love the law but like everyone else is kind of just like i'll just get on with it it's not that many hours so it's fine so did the four years, did my Erasmus in Toulouse, and I used to do, like, a lot of running, like, uh, kind of, like, I was getting into, kind of, sky running and trail running, and I got injured, I went to the Pyrenees with my friend Alex, because I couldn't run, Um, and I was, like, this is class, like, we were on, like, mountain bikes, I rented, like, an 80 euro, kind of, it was kind of, like, a town slash mountain bike, like, I was in just, like, my O'Neill shorts, had my like shoe like just like normal running shoes on like I was an absolute Fred like I didn't know what I was doing but I loved every second of it Then I bought a bike off like the equivalent of like the French done deal and um it was like, it was like a men's 56 like it was like a gate I was like it was way too big for me and I brought that back to Ireland when COVID hit and I used to just like sneak out to the sleep rooms and I was just like riding all around there love that And I really love like all the climbs and stuff but I just kind of used to escape out there as in my final year of university and then i finished my university degree and i went straight out to belgium and it kind of just went from there
0: did you race much on the irish domestic scene
1: yeah once the races started back like after covid i literally went to every single race i could like i used to drive up north like my dad thought i was mad he's like do you know how much diesel costs at the moment and you're driving up the north to a bloody bike race <laughs> um but and you're yeah like it's
0: 30 euro prize money
1: yeah yeah but like I loved it and then kind of I used to try it like I remember actually like one of the races I did up the north like I went in with the lads (laughs) and I was in with the A2 lads and I was like this is grand like this is fine we're all just like having a great time rolling turns and then Dara Feely comes by and like absolutely motoring and I was like you bastard like I was having a great time and then it spit to bits and then it started like some and rain and it was snow and it was like crazy but i finished the race i was happy out but yeah and then after that i just went to belgium straight away and i just started Curtis racing out there
0: it's been a crazy crazy progression i can't think of any examples male or female that have gone from o'neill shorts and trainers into a world tour inside was it three four years
1: yeah like i'm kind of this is like my like last year was my first year on a ci team and then this year is kind of like my first like proper year where i'm Kind of doing like a, a lot more race. And I didn't have a lot of actual race days last year, but literally just since COVID. So it
0: hasn't even been three years yet. But yeah. <laughs> like Where's your head at in terms of making a career to like this? I know I've had friends and they've ridden Conti, you know, they, they go away, maybe riding France or Belgium domestically. Then they get a continental contract. Then they get a pro continental contract. But if they're not seeing that constant progression, especially if they're well-educated and they're looking at the opportunity cost of what they could be making back home, they just went, Yeah, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm not gonna make world tour, I'm done. Have you got like a more of a lifestyle perspective on it? You're like, okay, I can knock six, seven years fun out of this, regardless of progression, or are you like, no, if this if I'm not gonna be one of the best in the world, I'm done. I know. Oh, uh,
1: like I think like everyone, like everyone that goes into cycling and has ambitions, like they obviously would love to get to the world tour and like I'd love to get there, but if it doesn't happen, I don't really care. Like I'm having a great old time. Yeah. Um, I'm not in it for the money at all (laughs) like not at all I just like love it I couldn't think of doing anything else than like getting up every day and going out training like I absolutely love it and I'm really lucky to be able to do it and so for me yeah definitely it's a lifestyle thing like I'll never be able to just sit in an office and work nine to five I don't think
0: (laughs) It's same, like I qualified, so I went kind of the long way qualifying for law because I had an economics undergrad and then I had a master's in law and then went to professional qualification in King's Inn. Oh, Christ. So it took me seven years to get fully finished. And then I started working and almost as soon as I started like deviling in law, I was like, oh my God, I've made a big mistake here. This yeah. is so shit. I hate it. And then I took a contract in France like a week later. So my parents were like, You went to law school for seven years and now you're taking a contract in France for 50 euro a week. Like, what is wrong with you? I was like,
1: That's literally that's what my dad said. He was just like, I paid for four years for you to go to UCD and now you're fucking up Belgium to go like race around in circles around town. So I was like, Yeah, (laughs) I didn't even go to my graduation.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's brutal. That's a long blow (laughs) of your parents. (laughs) I hope you send them on this podcast. for the first time in years, I have really big targets that I'm super passionate about this summer. And although the warmer months are approaching, I don't want to slip into that trap I see so many riders falling into, just riding around with no focus and no aim with their friends simply because the good weather is starting to arrive. I'm still using my Watt bike almost daily to keep me sharp and on point with specific sessions all the way into my target events, Rift, Migration Gravel, and Leadville later this summer. That's why I'm really happy to be partnering with Wattbike. The Wattbike Adam it's sitting next to the desk in the recording studio. And if I have an hour between interviews, I jump on. It's removing all those friction points for me. No more 10-minute setup, unfolding legs, banging my knees off stuff, connection issues. It just works every single time. The Adam is perfect for riding Zwift because it has those crisp gear changes. Boom, boom. 1% power accuracy and max gradient capability of 25%. If only my legs had a max gradient capability of 25%. Even if I'm riding those steepest climbs on Wittopia, it's absolutely fine. I'm actually riding that custom gearing setup. So if I'm riding a particularly hilly route, I'll select a more climbing suitable gear ratio. It's the business. If you're looking for an indoor trainer, if you're looking to stay sharp this summer and not lose that hard-earned fitness over the winter, I couldn't recommend the what bike setup any higher. It's the last indoor trainer you're ever gonna need. Head on over to whatbike.com now and check out their full range. When you look at the financial reality of being a female pro and you compare it to the lads, is it frustrating or do you give too much thought to comparisons?
1: Like I never really compared it because I didn't really have a point of comparison. Like I guess this year like my my boyfriend Cyrus he's on the, the Q36.5 team and Yeah, he's making, like, three or four times what I'm making. So, yeah, we split the rent, like, pretty relative to what we're making, which is nice. Um, Nice
0: deal for you. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But, yeah, there is still, like, a a massive gap, especially a continental level. Like, last year, the team that I was on, I didn't get paid anything. We didn't get our flights paid for nothing. So, like, and I was broke, like, at the end of the year. Like, I, I remember I went home and I was, like, brick and hell like I literally have like I had no money so then I was yeah actually then that was when I kind of reached out to some other and um, like Irish businesses and um, I was really lucky that I actually got sponsored by Mason Hayes and Kern which is a, a law company which I yeah, never thought they'd be sponsoring me like looking back um. so yeah like I was lucky to to find some private sponsors but there is like a massive gap it's better world world a level and I hope at some point, a continental level, there will be more kind of, yeah, regulations put in place for like minimum wages that girls have to have because, yeah, like it's it's crazy at the moment. There's some people that are getting paid like hundreds of thousands and then there's girls that are just getting paid nothing.
0: Yeah, and it, it, like it, it's difficult to call yourself a pro when you can't pay your phone bill, when you have to call your ma to get money for a coffee. And because of that, you end up actually quite similar to the law. This was like one of my Things there was a real frustration in law. And you come through law school, you go into practicing law, and then there's this sort of etiquette that you don't get paid for a number of years after that. Yeah. But the problem with that is the only people who can maintain themselves without getting paid are from one very narrow socioeconomic class. It means only the very affluent parts of the country get to have people who are barristers and lawyers and which in itself isn't a problem until you go to have a debate and there's only one socioeconomic viewpoint represented. Oh, 100%. In cycling, it's similar to that where we, like, we're talking about diversity and inclusion in sport from, you know, parity from men's to women's, but also diversity across racial lines. Like, you know, racial lines largely break down on economic lines in a lot of countries. and It's so difficult for, like, I'm going over to Kenya to do the migration gravel race this year impossible for Kenyan athletes to come over and race unpaid in Europe they just can't do it they can't support themselves they can't call on mammy to show yeah. up some quit so we end up losing some of the most talented potential athletes because of this broken system we have right now
1: yeah 100% like because I was always like thinking that like in because I came from a running background and like I remember asking my coach and I was just like I don't know how like cause in marathon running like they absolutely dominate the sports because they're just so super talented and they just have these engines that are incredible and I was always just wondering like god like if they started cycling you know like they dominate the sport as well and then he just said to me it was a really like obvious thing but he was just like yeah because a pair of shoes like costs a lot less than a bloody like couple of thousand euro bike and they just don't have the access to the equipment and the the, like yeah everything that goes along with it like it's a bloody expensive sport
0: yeah, that's why Migration Gravel Race, it's a uh, Mikel de Lagrange is the promoter of it. It's a brilliant concept because he had the idea initially to bring African athletes to Belgium and France to race, and that was turning out very expensive and logistically difficult with visas and stuff. Yeah. So now he's trying to bring some of the best European racers to Kenya to give them that exposure, like best European racers plus me. So I got over to get my head absolutely kicked oh. for <laughs> the Migration Gravel Race. But look, give a bit of crack. Like, the moment you you made that transition, so you're racing kind of locally in Belgium, you're doing little car messes, but when you, like, we have a hard line in the sand between amateur and pro, and you're now on the far side of that line where you're a professional bike rider. And there's a moment where you find out you're going to be a professional bike rider. Most people never get to experience that moment. What's that like?
1: Well, actually, for me, it was, like, a bit weird because, like, I guess with the team I was on last year, I didn't... I, I didn't really feel like a pro. Like, I kind of just, I just was going to kind of race. It was more like kind of a, um, we would go to a lot of the Belgian races. We did some of the, like Tour de l'Ardèche and those, but we never, we, I, yeah, to be fair, we did like, um, I, was get, I always get or Lander and Ronde van Vander and mixed up. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Very
0: different races.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we did like some of the Belgian classics as well. We did like Brabant Spoon and stuff like that. Um, but again, like, I never really classed myself like in that, like, Professional things again, like I, I wasn't getting paid and that kind of thing. And then halfway through last year, then I was offered a, con- a two-year contract with, um, you know, the the infamous B and B hotels and that kind of fell to pieces. So actually, I didn't actually think I was going to have a team this year to race on. Um, and I was in Australia at the time when it when it was all going off. So I was literally off every night. like trying to organise things. So this year like actually just finding um, a team last minute was was pretty surreal and then I just came back so it all just kind of happened really quickly so again yeah I just didn't really have much time to kind of reflect on it.
0: And now with the passage of time is this something you're kind of happy with where you are or are you looking to kick on from your current team?
1: Oh I'm, I'm really really happy with where I am I think it's for me, it's genuinely the, the the perfect mix for where I am right now as a bike rider. In terms of, we get to do the, the the big massive races, the World Tour races, with the best girls in the world, where you're going in and you're just trying to just soak it all up and learn as much as you can. But then we're also doing the kind of the the lower level races where I can go in and I have I'm like, all oh, right, like I can win this, like I can really go for it and have a really good result. And um, which I think is important to have that mix because. I think sometimes if you like get thrown in at the deep end and like I'm like there are some girls that just go straight to world tour and they, they may not have a lot of experience and they just get thrown in the deep end and some of them swim but then some of them just are like oh this is like way too much so yeah for me it's like a nice progression and I'm, I'm like happy that like it's it's building my confidence instead of just yeah just thinking that and getting my head kicked in all the time <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's got to be hard mentally being the nail every single week. If you're just going, doing this amazing calendar and the girls are just kicking your head in, kicking your head in, kicking your head in, that's got to be tough to keep coming back from that. So having that nice blend of lower level races really gives you like a place to have learnings and then go and apply those learnings at a different level. And it
1: keeps your spirits high because you can go into those races and actually be, you know, like fight for the win. And be competitive and learn and like have that other side of it where as when you go into the world to level races, you're trying to be as smart as possible and you're trying to be as tactical as possible because there is no room for error. Like you can't just, you know, make mistakes and stay out in the wind and like you have to learn about positioning and the tactics and all that kind of thing, which I think is really important. So for me, I'm I'm it was actually a blessing in disguise that I, you know, I ended up in Archaea because yeah, it's just the the perfect mix for me at the moment. And I think it's like where I need to be in order to keep progressing further, hopefully.
0: You're living down in Nice at the moment. That's, yeah. you know, someone think kind of the cycling dream, definitely coming from uh, the gray overcast parts where I'm uh, recording right now. <laughs> what, for someone who hasn't experienced the life you're living right now, because, you know, we want to try and live vicariously through you if we can and try and put a smile on our own faces. What's a typical day in the life look like at the moment?
1: Like, get up around eight or nine have a bit of brekkie and then get like I try to be out the door like just before 10 (laughs) and then do my training like I'm I for I don't know I tend to be able to handle like quite like a high volume of training so like most weeks unless it's like a real like adaptation week I'm doing like 20 up to the high twenties volume of training and then sometimes a bit over if I'm doing like a massive volume block you train on your own yeah like I try to train with Cyrus as much as I can just because like sometimes I kind of like training with other people and I also like training by myself because sometimes for me the best training is to just literally try and sit on his wheel for as long as possible because I don't for me I find you know like if you have like a five minute effort you know okay the pain is over in five minutes but in a race it's not like that you're not in control of like how much pain you're going to be in so I kind of like just being able to sit on his wheel and just like actually just try and like wring out the sponge and hurt as much as I can.
0: And did the zones work out okay where you're like, you're sitting in endurance zone if you're on his wheel while he's still in endurance zone while he's riding in the wind?
1: Yeah, uh, I've been like bit in the ass sometimes of that. Like when we, we'd head out and like first thing we'll go up like a 40-minute climb and we're doing like a five-hour day and I end up like getting dropped out the ass of it. And I just like... I'm like crawling home. I'm just like, no, speed me. I'm okay.
0: <laughs> That's a frosty dinner conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: definitely.
0: Full <laughs> picture, no sound. Yeah,
1: but yeah, like, yeah, train. I train. And then I also just really love training by myself. If I've got like specific efforts to do. I kind of like to just do them by myself and then always try to do my Rico spins with other people. Um, and then, yeah, come home, have lunch, go to the gym or go and do some yoga, go for a walk make dinner and then yeah go to
0: bed and do it again the next day <laughs> i think with a high performance sport it's difficult because there's nothing very balanced about it you have to be really all in on one aspect but because of that you don't end up having many strings to your bow so if cycling's going bad all of a sudden you can make that deduction and say actually my life oh, so well yeah. are, are you struggling to keep balance and keep interest in other areas of your life
1: yeah i think like kind of last year I fell into that trap a lot where you know if my efforts weren't going well or if I just wasn't feeling too well and it's something that I sort of be conscious of like when I'm in a phase of like building up to a certain event and there's always just that period where like you're not feeling good on the bike and you're not able to hit the numbers and training's going like crap and you're like oh I need to just I want to hang up the bike can't do anything and I've been in that situation before where I felt that but then you kind of just need to like take a step back and cop onto yourself and just be like not like you're in a really lucky situation to be able to do this and then that's also where you need to have as you said like more strings to your bow and have other interests that are outside of cycling and that's actually why I like Nice because it's it's a bigger city than like say Girona where you're kind of just like in a bubble of cycling whereas here like when I finish my bike ride like I'm like out of my kit i'm just a normal person and i just go and do other different things I i'm not
0: a cyclist anymore yeah, that's what i had an apartment in girona for the winter and the podcast is you know it's getting more and more traction I, I never thought it would turn into a full-time job it was meant to be what i was doing until i figured out the next thing and now it's like whoa the podcast is getting really big and i was tempted to bring it over to girona and have an in-person podcast in girona i thought this is so cool and I went over and I rented an apartment for the winter and it was just like that. I couldn't get off. Like, you know, we'll finish this interview now and I'll go and meet some friends who don't know anything about cycling. I could have been talking to Eddie Merckx on the podcast and they'd just be like, yeah, I don't care. Like, you know, what happened in the Arsenal match last night? Like, they have no yeah. idea what's going on in this world. That's why I
1: love, that's why I love going home. Like I'm at, Like, when I'm at home, my dad's like... I'm like oh I have to go and do four hours of training and he's just like well there's cows to be brought in from the field so you're doing that before you go
0: (laughs) I don't care about your
1: cycling you can redo that first before you leave.
0: (laughs) I had a chance to chat with the Factor founder Rob Chetellis on the podcast it's worth going back to check out that episode I was super impressed with him personally Factor are really pushing the boundaries of what's possible with aerodynamics in bike design at the moment. But they're doing it with a social conscience, and that's what's so impressive for me. They're mindful of that environmental impact, paying employees a living wage, and resisting the urge to relocate production, like so many competitors, to lower-cost labour markets. I'm super proud to be riding Factor bikes for the upcoming season. If you're considering buying a bike for yourself, put me a DM over on Instagram or over on Twitter, and I'm going to give you a personal introduction to the guys at Factor and make sure you get the very best possible experience. A lot of people struggle, especially in the early stages of building their cycling career, with balancing relationships. Obviously, your boyfriend is a pro cyclist as well. Is that super convenient, or is there challenges with that also?
1: I don't know, like. He's also my coach as well, which everyone thinks is crazy. But I don't. Oh, I actually, tried coaching
0: my girlfriend before. It was <laughs> a Fucking
1: disaster. I don't know any different. Everyone is like, "Oh Jesus, like that's like a disaster waiting to happen." And I'm like, "I don't. I don't know any different because it's just been like that from the start. Like, I when I met him, I knew like nothing about cycling. Like, I was sack of yeah. Like I did not did not have a clue about it. And then he was just like, oh, I'll help you, like you know, just get your training zones, give you a bit of training, whatever. Set me up in Training Peaks. Smooth, smooth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then it just like, but I wouldn't like even when I was on a, a this year, they were like, oh, do you want a different coach? And I was just like, no, it's like a, it's fine, I don't want to fix something that's not broken. So yeah, but in terms of yeah, relationships, that's never really been like a big issue for me. But again, I guess keeping in touch with my friends from home and stuff like that. I'm I'm terrible at that. And it's something that I need to, yeah, keep a,
0: keep a lid on. Yeah, it's really hard. I struggled when I went abroad. I had really good, close friends. Like friends that I thought were almost like family, you know, people that come to you know, graduations, like my, say, sister's birthday party. Like I'd have this small group of friends that would be at every event. And while I made an effort to stay in touch with more peripheral friends, because I was like, oh, their friendships, they'll drift away. Some of my really close friends, I took them for granted. And I was like, oh, no, he, like, we're forever friends. Like, I don't need to make that effort to be in touch with them as frequently. And those friendships, like, just ended up kind of atrophying and disappearing. Yeah. uh, Definitely weakening them a lot. And then it's like, you just wonder, is the price of success worth it? I'm always struck by like Michael Phelps because the most successful Olympian ever, that's why I think he's a good reference point to to kind of discuss what is success because if Michael Phelps won all those gold medals and then he has suicidal thoughts after winning all those gold medals because <clears throat> he's no one to share the victory with and he just feels empty and he's sitting in a hotel room on his own with you know no one to celebrate with that's of any meaning to his life. It's like... Can we really call that success?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I also think that the 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 most like the happiest I've been when I've crossed the finish line is when I've buried myself to get my my teammate to win a race, and um, which I think is the nice thing about cycling. Like it's a team sport, so you know the ups and downs you share with like five or six other girls on your your team on the day, which is yeah. There's like ups and downs to that as well, but yeah and I think yeah again what you said about keeping in touch with your friends and stuff it's it's hard because you just it's what what I'm doing it's just so crazy to someone that's just like working in Galway back home or working in Limerick like even my sister like she's just like working in Limerick and she's just like how the hell did you end up in Nice like it's crazy
0: <laughs> the girls are fighting hard at the moment like we've toured a femme of ex Uh, which has been a massive success and Zwift have have come on with brilliant sponsorship on it. I think that battle, it's happening in every local club as well. Like I know we're trying really hard to get more girls out on club rides. Even I'm trying so hard to get more girls onto the podcast every week, but there's barriers you're fighting against. I know my girlfriend's like really pushing to try and get more girls on the club spin, but it is intimidating to get girls out onto the club spin. You've you know, the idea of a girl going into a highly male dominant environment, it's a certain type of girl only that feels comfortable doing that. The clothes are, you know, it's like wearing body paint. If you have any body confidence insecurity issues, that's going to be again, another factor. And then there's like a, this almost exclusionary set of vocabulary we have around cycling where you need to know this secret language of pointing out holes and calling stop signs and is there anything you think we can do to erode those barriers and make it a little bit more inclusive for girls to get involved?
1: Like, I don't know. For me, I just got stuck in. Like, I just went for... Like, I loved the Sunday bunch ride with the with the local lads from there, And they were all, like, my friends' dads. But that's just how I started. <laughs> like, I literally used to just go for Sunday, like, bunch rides with them. And that's how I learned. Like, I had no idea about riding in a bunch. And yeah for me as well like when I was doing racing and when I started racing in Ireland like there a lot of the time there was like not a lot of girls in the the girls races which I think has improved massively since then but even now like I I see that there's races on in Ireland and they're like cancelling the girls races because there's just not enough people you know signed up for it but yeah when that used to happen I used to just go in the men's race and just try and hold on (laughs) I seen a hilarious tweet. It wasn't like, it was hilarious, but I can see
0: why girls be super frustrated from it because the guy took it so serious. So Marianne Voss, like the GOAT, maybe the greatest bike rider, male or female ever to live, crashed in Roubaix and there was a picture of her crashing in Roubaix and some guy like deadpan underneath being totally serious, obviously didn't know who Marianne Voss was, just mansplaining to the ultimate mansplaining ever underneath it's a picture of her crashing and he has something up along the lines of just goes to show you, you should stay in control of your bicycle at all times.
1: Oh, that like, (laughs) it drives me crazy when they do that. Like I see it on, you know, on like Facebook and on Twitter and stuff like just lads like writing and they just, they don't have a clue. Like it's so annoying, but I guess it happens in every sport and you kind of just have to just keep your mouth shut and just try and lead by example. But in the women's, like in the, the highest level races, um, the level is just getting so high and like just higher and higher even like from last season I obviously wasn't doing like the biggest races and um, last season but like this year it's on a completely like it's on another level so in years to come with, I hope it kind of gets to the to the men's level and um, but it, it takes time I guess.
0: But if anyone's in doubt as to how high the level is, you could flick onto any of the top girls. I'm not sure if your Strava account is public or private, but a lot of the top girls have their Strava accounts on public, and you can look at the times they're setting on climbs. Like they make shit of cat one riders. Yeah, like yeah. they're setting seriously good times. It's not like tokenism that we have to be inclusive and have girls in. They're top top
1: athletes. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I I hope that like is reflected, you know, in years to come. And now I think it is getting more and more like even the fact that we have. The Tour de France and for the for the girls is is incredible and um, I'm really excited
0: for it this year like it's going to be insane. I was over in Mallorca last year and I was riding Sacalabra and I was flicking onto it and I seen Imogen had the Sacralabra record. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to make shit at this record and I'm going to send her a screen capture and just be like, oh, identifying as a girl or something took your record. She absolutely whipped me when I got to the top. I was like, oh, she beat me by an embarrassing amount of time
1: oh she's like just a mountain goat she's so good she's such a good climber and like even like all of like with the Irish girls like there's just so many like you know like Lara is absolutely killing it and she's come back from like you know she had a hard year last year and like everything that Imogen's been through and like one word that I kind of associate with Imogen it's just like she's bloody resilient like she's just hard as males and then like all the the track girls like Linda Kelly she's absolutely killing it now with you know being a a pilot on the tandem like yeah it's it's really cool to see so yeah i hope kind of like more girls are going to take it up but it looks like there is and yeah i'm happy to see it
0: if you were able to speak to the young girls right now what sort of advice would you give them stepping stones to becoming a professional cyclist
1: i think just like say yes to opportunities just like just be a yes woman and just go for it like don't don't be kind of overthinking things just do it like it's kind of like you know that it's real cheesy but you know like what Alison Jackson had on her handlebars for Parary Bay she just had like two little stickers and I was like don't think just do and I was like it's so simple but it's like just do it like if you you know if you have an opportunity to go to a race go to it like if you can go on a bunch ride and you know practice like riding knuckle to knuckle with someone beside you like do it and ask questions and like don't be afraid to to hurt yourself either like just dig in and, and just yeah give it your all I guess how
0: far do you think you can go in the sport
1: I don't know like
0: don't be modest
1: I'd, I'd like to you know be competitive and up there in the highest level races like I think I'm still trying to figure out what kind of rider I am I'm not a sprinter I figured that one out pretty soon um like I'm a good climber I, I'm excited to give time trialing a good go as well it seems to be something that I'm quite strong at so yeah I'd like to be a good like GC rider and I'm like a pretty good climber in general so yeah I'd I'd like to get to the highest level and be competitive but it takes time. And you
0: guys have a wild card for Tour de Femme this year?
1: Yeah yeah we just we found out last week which was pretty cool because we like we genuinely didn't know like who was going to be invited but it's it's pretty special that we get to do it and I'm yeah I really hope I'll be on the start line
0: are you on the long list or how does selection work
1: yeah like pretty much like I, I hope if if I'm like healthy and everything goes well I'll be on the start line and um, but obviously it's a French team and there's a lot of French girls on the team so we we haven't been given the the list of who's going yet but yeah fingers crossed I'll be there
0: oh, that'll be absolutely magic well we're all gonna be cheering you
1: yeah, and like hopefully, like Mia will be there as well. She's on the Israel team, so yeah, it'd be cool to have two like Irish girls on the start line.
0: That'd be unbelievable. Megan, thank you very much for taking time to chat with me on the Roadman podcast.
1: Cheers! Thank you so much. <laughs>